you are not a product. It's midwinter, 2015. It's close to midnight. I'm sitting in a gazebo on an inner city housing estate, surrounded by young men in their teens. They're burning the carton from their slab of beer to keep warm. This gazebo is the only outdoor space with a working PowerPoint to charge phones and Bluetooth speakers. From here, I can also see the most notorious heroin dealing site in the city, and maybe 50 metres away, the car park where drug users inject. In the future, a safe injecting room will be built adjacent to this car park, providing a safe space to inject with clean syringes, supervision in case of overdoses, and disposal of sharps. At this point in time, the local health service routinely patrols the area for sharps. It's a strange day if I don't engage with someone injecting in a public space, including the benches adjourning the local primary school. Many services attempt to engage with the local young people. There are veteran community development workers who have become fixtures in the area. There's also a revolving entry and exit of organisations that have run successful programs elsewhere and attempt to transplant those programs to this area without consulting the youth community on what they actually want. Young people are not stupid. They know when they're being used to fill in marks on a KPI performance sheet. They've had their brilliant new program pitch on a regular basis and seen the programs peter out. It's easy to lose faith and trust. I know I would. So I'm freezing my ass off and listening to hard style beats and watching these young people get progressively wasted as I'm talking about all the things they actually enjoy. My currency is that I'm a music producer. At this point, my studio is just around the corner from where we are sitting. I will repeat this ritual spending time with local young people in a setting they are comfortable with for a couple of months on and off. Gradually, we will shift to a community-driven hip-hop recording program. This program will run two nights a week for the next three and a half years, but of course, we don't know that yet. It will be a safe space to discuss all issues in life. Where school and family settings may not provide the forum for some issues, as we write songs, we will also discuss safe sex, safe drug use, family violence, racial discrimination, homophobia, and gender issues. There will be a journey for many of these young people, from pretending to be hip-hop gangsters to finding their own voice. There will be festival and radio appearances. The evolving confidence in their lives will not only spur music, but a self-assuredness to pursue other goals. When I first meet one teen, he's experienced family violence, including being chased by a family member with a knife. He's disengaged from school and has lost trust in the institutions that are meant to assist him. Four years later, he's accepted into medicine at university. But right now, someone has to just keep showing up and listening, listening to what they need and not telling them what they need. You are not a product. Welcome everyone to You Are Not a Product, a podcast that looks at artists' public faces, uh, what they present to the world and how they reconcile that with having genuine connection in community. So the very first episode and first guest, I would like to introduce 
Izzy Brown. Izzy Brown, welcome. Hey, how you doing? Uh, so, Izzy, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your art and how you present as an artist? So, I've got a few projects. Uh, one of them is a band called Combat Wombat. We've been around for over two decades. And we're a Melbourne hip-hop group. Um, we, we do political hip-hop with the producer Monkey Mark doing kind of fat, dubby kind of bass music. Elf Transporter on the mic and myself on the mic and Wasabi on the cuts. Nice. Uh, I also have a project called United Struggle Project and that involves working with communities, refugee communities in remote communities, also travelling um, to refugee camps and other places around the world and collaborating on production with people in those places. So that's been going for about 10 years and we do theatre um, music production and video. So that is a lot. Uh, it's a lot to do uh, while you also have uh, family and community around you. And speaking of family, we have another guest. We do. Ampersonic. Ampersonic is my four-year-old. She's out the back there playing Lego. Uh, so you, you will hear some uh, Lego rattles on the floor here. Uh, if anyone's wondering what the extra atmosphere is today. Um, so those projects, um, they're um, unashamedly confrontational. They have to be to get the kind of response um, that that art needs. Um, do you ever feel like you've gone too far or you've pushed people uh, to a place where it hasn't worked? What, how do you feel the art... Uh, impact for you? Um, for me, I feel like music, theatre, production are my tools to express how I'm feeling about the state of the world, about issues that are close to my heart and about untold stories from the people that I meet and work with. So for me, it's a medium, it's a vehicle to express those stories and talk about those issues. So I guess I've never been really worried about commercial success per se, uh, more just on the creative outlet that uh, this medium gives me and the people I work with to be able to talk about those things that often don't get talked about. The only kind of time where people have gone, oh, that's a bit too much maybe is when I've had a lot of video projections happening behind like a live performance and people are like, I don't know where to look. Should I be dancing? But in the background, there's oil wells burning and, you know, mass protests and police brutality. You know, how do I navigate that as a punter? And for some people, it's confronting. For other people, it's empowering. For some people, it's a doorway into being part of a movement or part of that struggle or at least awareness about those issues. Um, and maybe for some people it's triggering, I'm not sure, but I feel that, you know, people make the choice to come, they can leave if they want to, but if they stay, hopefully they'll learn or take something away from that experience. That, that's an interesting observation because I'd say that uh, today we uh, voluntarily subject ourselves to so much different media um, on our phones, smart TVs, we're constantly barraged with uh, images. In this setting, 
you're having a curated experience of uh, those images and uh, those ideas. Uh, whereas, uh, and so and so people have a response to that, and maybe they they that's not their thing, and they walk away. But then we also voluntarily choose to have mass marketing through social media projected at us 24/7. So um, yeah, I, I think making people aware of what they're consuming um, is probably a good thing. Definitely, and I think if you're telling untold stories and those stories are coming directly from the source of your personal experiences or people around you that are involved in the project's personal experiences, then it's very truthful and it's very powerful. So, um, you know, these are the things that need to be told and if you can tell them in a creative way using music and theatre and projections and art as a platform to express those stories, you can hopefully reach a whole lot of audience that you wouldn't necessarily through, um, I guess, protest or, um, you know, the controlled algorithms of social media. Um, with confronting people, um, say recently the um, defund the police movement, um, that became controversial because, uh, well, I guess it was intended to be, the, the phrase is intended to be, controversial but really it's um, a hook to get people to pay attention to the the real movement behind that Um, uh, so it's not about just defunding the police it's about shifting uh, money into uh, first engagement uh, so community workers or mental health care workers Um, uh, do you see that some of your work would be similar that you're you're trying to you're in such a competitive area, so much um, so much competition for space in the airwaves that you have to go in hard to to try and get people's attention. I guess for me, it was never necessarily a matter of going in hard. It was more just like speaking from the heart. Yeah. And I just feel like if you can be raw and true with your truths and help other people express theirs, then you can't go wrong, really. And people can take it as it is, and and that in its own right is is something. And whether people see it as controversial or people see it as, you know, as going in hard, I don't know. Yeah, interesting. I hadn't really thought about it like that. I just, it's just something that comes to me like a vision and then you just got to do it. And, and we have spoken about our engagement with music before uh, and what I found interesting was that you were really motivated to get into hip-hop just because you were pissed off and you wanted to you know, get your ideas out there. Um, whereas for me, I was always sort of driven by music and sort of music became that tool. Uh, and so more recently when I was running um, some hip-hop programs for, for young people um, here in Melbourne... Um, we ended up in a very similar place, but from sort of different different mm. beginnings. Um, so I, f- I find that really sort of fascinating that um, you've been driven by what, rage, um, hope. What, what would you say drives? Mm. Because uh, um, getting into hip hop, you had to learn a whole bunch of new skills to give yourself that voice. So there must have been something that was driving you. Mm, I think... I was really lucky at a quite a young age um, to witness 
the birth of some music scenes that did inspire social change. Um, the free party kind of rave scene in the early 90s that reclaimed the streets where we did big protests in the streets, taking over the streets with music. Um, seeing the way music could empower people to take control of their lives and create an autonomous zone um, in the middle of a space that wouldn't normally be a space for that kind of thing to happen, whether it's at the front of Parliament or in front of the police station where the police had just raided a party or, or whatever it was. Those feeling of autonomy, that feeling of, um, I guess, empowerment um, to a fat baseline and sick beats, I was like, this is my life calling. I yeah. want to bring music to the front line because it's music that can empower us to have these moments that um, you don't normally get in day-to-day in -day life and really be in the face of whether it's the government or, or whatever it is, but in a way that um, you're still having a good time. Mm. Um, but also, you know, a vehicle to express. And so I just wanted to tell people about, you know, what I was seeing, what I was hearing, you know, that, you know, let people know the forest is still being logged or they're building a uranium mine over there or right now the police are coming towards us on horses and they're about to, you know, pepper spray us or whatever it is. Like mm. my life was like so kind of engaged in these social movements that I wanted to express, but I wanted to express it in a way that people could dance to it. Yeah. Because dancing in a place you're not allowed to be dancing. <laughs> to, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It sounds ridiculous, but yeah. it's, a, it's a really good feeling. Yeah. <laughs> and I want everyone to feel that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I, I, about the same time, I would have been uh, sort of heavily into the Melbourne indie um, scene. Uh, and I guess for me, the songs were like a completely different sonic expression, but they were also laden with essentially sadness at, at the changes in the world. Um, but that was all for me, that was also community because you were engaging with people who were making the same kinds of music. Um, and for, some, for a young person that had grown up in the conservative Bible belt of Melbourne, uh, and felt, you know, growing up feeling very alienated by that culture. Um, it was really finding my place, finding my people, finding my community. Um, so I guess that, that brings us up to talking about how we engage with community. Um, is there much of a delineation for you between what you're doing publicly and like how you engage with the community around you? Um, for some people, there's a very obvious um, musical persona that they use, um, and that can be controversial or it can be ambiguous. Um, but how do we uh, engage in our day-to-day -day lives and also have that stage presence, I guess? Mm. Before I go on stage, I always think about who I'm going to dedicate or sing this song or this set for um, might you know it might come into my mind this you know like a refugee that I just met in detention you know a few weeks ago or you know um maybe an elder that I met out on country that you know just inspired me in some way or whatever and I'm just like I'm gonna do this for you you know mm. and then that gives you the fire it gives yeah. you the passion it gives you the the you know the essence to like really bring it you know on stage and stuff 
And I feel like a lot of my songs, they're about global issues um, and, you know, big issues, but then I do try and bring it personal back to my own experience of, of how they relate to, you know, in our daily lives. But in terms of kind of talking about my family or personal stuff, I haven't done that much until mm. more recently. And so I guess I do kind of keep that stuff slightly separate. Yeah. But I do feel like on stage I am the same person that I am day to day and yeah. I'm still ranting about the same stuff, whether it's <laughs> yeah, on stage or off stage. Um, so there, there isn't that much of a divide really. Yeah. Um, and I guess when I'm out and about and talking to people in the street, I don't know, I just see everyone's potential to do something amazing and mm. so feel inclined to engage them in, in some kind of adventure of some kind. So watch out. <laughs> you see yeah. me in the street, you might end up on a crazy adventure. <laughs> That's right. And, and speaking of adventures, uh, so uh, some of your um, performances or engagements with the world are you know, slightly more risky than, than others. Um, and we're both people that have um, families and community around us. How, do you fi find that there's a balance? Do you find, uh, is that a concern when you're trying to think, am I, is my family okay? Am I looking after my family while I'm also putting myself essentially in the firing line for um, not just mm. political, but, um, you know, taking over public spaces and... Hmm. I think possibly I do lack an element of fear in my psychology that could probably be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> but so far, so good. The bullets seem to move around me. <laughs> I don't know why. It's like Neo in the Matrix. <laughs> but um, I've always got my family with me, you know. I feel like if they're with me, I can see them. They can see me. I'm there for them. If anything happens, I'm always there mm. with them. So whether I'm on stage in front of a thousand people, I might be breastfeeding my baby while I'm rapping. Um, I might be carrying my kids on my back and pushing a pram with the amp in the pram and the kids on my shoulders or, mm -hmm. or whatever. Like we're in this together and yeah, yeah. like I'm the kind of sole parent that has, you know, the responsibility of all these kids. And, you know, I just know if they're with me, they're going to be okay because I'm always okay. Yeah. Uh, and from observing some of those shows, I'd say that there's a lot of community around you also that would just jump in. Um, so I think, yeah, the community's got your back. Um, do you think there's a defining moment for um, either expression of who you are, so either your performer self or your community self? Is there a moment that sort of grabs your uh, your memory and says, oh, this is emblematic of who I am in the world? Hmm. I've spread myself around the world and back again. <laughs> yeah, like there's times I can think of on the back of a truck in the gateway of a you know refugee camp in Palestine or, you know, on a stage in front of like 6,000 people in the street in a slum in Kenya or 
at Perry Park um, at the Commission Flats mm. in Collingwood where we live um, with my neighbours, you know. Yep. All those things, whether how far away or what size or how professional or how, how not professional, they're all equal to me in terms of being a legitimate and important experience. So, yeah, whether we're playing a festival for thousands or whether I'm just jamming on the corner in the gutter with some people, you know, does, does, doesn't matter to me. It's like all of those experiences and all those people in those moments are absolutely, you know, worthy of, of I guess, yeah, um, that, that individual moment and that moment of creativity. Mm. And, I, and I think that is a crossover point for both of them, that uh, for both artistic expression and community, that you have to believe that, um, yeah, it's worth it. If, if you want to talk in terms of numbers that you have at a gig or, um, yeah, just who we engage with in the community uh, and being able to say that, okay, this person's having a bad day, but it's still worth sitting down with them. And sometimes it's music that will draw them in and, um, you know, get them out of whatever headspace they're in. And other times it's just having someone to sit and talk and listen um, and treat them as a human. Absolutely, and sometimes those unexpected golden moments that you'd, you know, you'd you'd least expect at mm. like whatever it is, three in the morning in the back alley at the back of some club where there's a <laughs> cipher going on, and there's all these moments of gold, and you're like, what? <laughs> but um, you just never know when those moments can happen, and I think if you're open to that, and you're not driven by you know wanting commercial success or money or all those things, but you're just open to that creative process with whoever c- crosses your path, then, yeah, amazing things can happen. Uh, and I think that's a really important point because uh, having a history in the music industry, I've, I've worked with people who uh, were really just looking for f- fame and money and when that doesn't happen instantly, <laughs> then they actually are not really interested in music anymore. Um but certainly for yourself and uh, and for me, like it doesn't stop. Like you just keep creating. Um, it's not about whether or not it's successful in invert commas. Um, it's about whether it's a, a worthy expression and if it's going to impact on someone. Um, and sometimes you you don't know those impacts. Like I've had um, people come up to me after a gig and say, "Oh that." that song made me cry and I was like oh I'm sorry but <laughs> um but and and those are the the instant feedback but you'll never know if someone on the other side of the world is listening to something and is suddenly inspired to you know keep going or uh if they're part of you know they want to reach out to their own community and start something like you're doing mm. the other day my friends um from Canada came over and they said, oh, did you know at our protests we always sing your, you know, get those animals off those horses um, <laughs> song whenever the police rock up. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. And, yeah, I definitely feel like you've made it if you can rock up at a protest and people are playing your music. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> My, you know, career has reached its full potential. <laughs> and, and I find that interesting because uh, your your lyrics are just right there in your face um and i love that um but i write in a completely different way um and so i'll write 
it, it's tricky as a middle-aged white man to to write about say um indigenous issues um and so i feel like i have to cloak them in poetry and some people will get that and some people won't um because these things are important to me but i also don't want to feel like i'm taking over that space that should be voiced by an indigenous person um yeah so the different expressions um so at this point in your life what would you think are some of the important things you've learned through all of those combined experiences that you know, keep you going today um a name that I ended up with after doing The Change, uh, which was a production in the underground car park involving over 60 participants from the housing estate and beyond, um, was the conductor of chaos. <laughs> and I think through events like that and other ones that I've done um, where there's a lot of unknowns, it's taught me to be very adaptable, very patient and often not having massive expectations so that when people do come through with something gold, you're like, hell yeah, wow. Mm -hmm. And amazingly, people do, despite the hardships they have to overcome, somehow it's always all right on the night. <laughs> <laughs> so having that faith in people um, but not putting that pressure on them, um, you know, it's a, real, it's a real balance. And, you know, I think working with like such a diverse community like here in Collingwood um, and also, you know, out, out bush and overseas has definitely taught me to just, you know, leave room, leave space for people to do their thing and, you know, you never you never know what, what amazing things will happen. Yeah. And, yeah, I think, I think that's really important. Um, uh, having... Uh, from, I think I'm racking up my 16th year working on the uh, Collingwood and Richmond public housing estates this year and um, often we'll see organisations come in with a program that's been successful somewhere else. They think we'll just run the same thing here. They dump the program down and then they just expect a completely different community to go along for the ride, um, fit into all of their programs and... Um, and more often than not, it's around for about six months and then it disappears because it hasn't shown that respect for people. Uh, and that's what you're talking about. You're talking about um, leaving that space for people, but also just realising it's their home. It's their space. If You should be asking what they want. What can they contribute? Um, and having seen the, uh, one iteration of um, the change um, production I just thought it was amazing and I think the space that you did create for so many different diverse people to find their roles um, I, yeah, I thought that was amazing so um, anybody listening if you do have uh, the opportunity to see the change live or is there going to be some video maybe one day oh, there's bits and pieces out yeah. there on on YouTube and Facebook and stuff um, but it's definitely something you really need to experience live. I would say so, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't quite transfer into video with the same impact. And, you know, every show is touch and go. You never knew if who was going to turn up um, and what they were going to do. 
You know, we talked about stuff. We'd never ever done a full run through of any of the shows ever until the night. Um, I'd worked with individual groups because it was impossible to get everyone together at any one time altogether. When you factor in, you know, island time, crew time, <laughs> <laughs> pub time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was amazing. Somehow, you know, when it's got to be done, the community does come together and can really shine. Yeah. Um. Um, thanks so much for all of these reflections, Izzy. Um, I'm sure that um, there's so many different projects that we could talk about um, for a long time, so maybe we'll have you back at some point to, <laughs> to um, go over some of those. Um, but for today, are there um, some things you'd like to plug? Um, so Combat Wombat. Yeah, Combat Wombat. Uh, we've got a couple of albums out, and I think they're all on Spotify and YouTube and all those places. But you should buy them from Bandcamp. Um, yes. <laughs> I think they're even free. At least our first album or two might be free on, on Bandcamp. <laughs> We're terrible capitalists. <laughs> we never remember to bring our merch to any shows or sell any of our products. I think they're under a bed somewhere. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, Combat Wombat's still kicking. Um, Monkey Mark is working on a whole plethora of amazing projects with um, Jamaican artists as well that are worth checking out uh, as well as some of his solo instrumental stuff um, I'm doing a whole lot of community work now with uh, Wild at Heart and um, they've got an album coming out with uh, Inclusive which is the, the hip hop crew there and we're building a studio at the Collingwood Neighbourhood House so there's which lots looks of, amazing yeah it's coming yeah. along so my son and a whole lot of his friends um, in the hood have been working really hard at that. So, yeah, we're upcycling Strawberry Studios from the underground mm -hmm. to the neighbourhood house to be the new and improved high-rising hip-hop records. Excellent. So thanks again to Izzy and to Empire. <laughs> I don't know if we're going, going to get any hello. hello. Oh, no. she's being a bit shy. <laughs> um... And uh, yeah, thanks everyone for listening to this first episode of You Are Not A Product. And remember, you are not a product. Thanks everyone. You are not a product.